maybe incidentally, I mean, e- Elon, Elon Musk um, made an effort. I started to say Elon Trump, and I have no idea what it came out <laughs> anyway. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. He'll fill the ball up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, we you are, can say that again if you'd like. Yes, we can say McClure multiple times if you would like. This is The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will feed you calming advice, even when inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh, uh, we've got to give some disclosures before we tell you more about who we are but wait a minute disclosures are telling you more about who we are the personal wealth coach is the name of this program it's the name of this podcast this radio program and sometimes this um recording that's used to put babies to sleep. Uh, I have heard it being used that way, uh, and I have been reported, too, that uh, our voices are good for putting babies to sleep. So, or drivers. Or truck drivers late at night. So there, right. this is our first disclosure. Uh, if you are operating heavy machinery, please stop and ch- or change the channel. Um, next disclosure, we are both bald. All right. If you're still with us at this point, we also have beards. Okay. You're still with us. And um, we are both the principals at another organization, also called the Personal Wealth Coach, that's registered with the SEC to give fiduciary investment advice, which we cannot do on the air uh, because Not- privacy concerns and how do we customize it to each of you that are listening when nobody's listening? So it'd be like advice to no one, but that anyone could listen to if they wanted to. So obviously, uh, we can't give fiduciary advice on the air. And just because we're registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they like us. It doesn't mean that they gave us some kind of a gold star somewhere or a, a lollipop. In fact, they regulate us, and uh, if we tried to give them a gold star or a lollipop, we might get in trouble for you know, bribery or something. So uh, we have to keep that not occurring. So they, just because we're registered with them doesn't give any sort of authority to us. There. You want to do the next disclosure? I was really impressed with that last one there. Um, I added lollipops to it, so that always makes things better. You've given all the good stuff. Uh, we don't pay for this radio program, nor does the station pay us to do the radio program. Uh, we do advertise on KTEM for the radio program, but then so do they. Yes. Uh, let's see. And the information we present on this educational radio program, which is not investment advice, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the completeness or accuracy of said information. Yes. So the only warranty or guarantee is to the inaccuracy of incomplete and unsaid information. Right. Mm-hmm. Which basically means nothing we're about to say for the next two hours is of any worth whatsoever. A- unless you deem it so. Oh, well, you can deem, yes. Yes, anyone's allowed we to deem. deem. Uh, we, we're bringing deem. the word deem right. back. It is not used enough in common parlance. Mm-hmm. Well, now, if you deem it once and then you go back and deem it again, you would be redeeming it. That's true. 
But if you deem on something, it's like a demon. Mm. You got a point there. Uh, can you redeem a demon? Hmm. That is now we're getting a deep off. theological question. Theological. How many demons can dance on a redemption? Well, it's time for the market. The um, We've seen a lot of this recently, and it's one of those things that bears looking at over a little longer period of time. But the market gnashed its teeth, went up, went down, went up, went down, went into panic, went into exaltation, went into this and that and the other during the week, and wound up pretty much where it started the week. The S&P 500 stock index, uh, SPX. And why do I say XPX? Well, there's also an SPY. Why? There's, exactly. Yeah, yeah well, there, there's a specific definition for SPX. And you want to look it up, you'll find out why I say XPX. Anyway, um, it dropped 0.69% for the week, closing at 3965.34. Now, let's give the statistics. The statistics? It is down. If it had only dropped this much from the beginning of the year, we wouldn't have a bear market. We would technically just be in a correction. It's down 16.8% from its high at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's down 15.59% from this time last year. But it is up 10% since October 12th. 10.7% to be exact. Um, and if you go back to the March of 2020, which was quite recent, at least in my experience, uh, it's up an astonishing 77.23%. If you look back three years to just before the pandemic, just before everything went kind of crazy, uh, it's up 28% from three years ago. So the, whether the market is up or down right now is very much dependent upon your time horizon. It's either up, if, if you have a longer time horizon, and if you're an investor, that's a very good idea, as opposed to a speculator, uh, then you have some, probably seeing some significant gains if you're invested in anything that is in equities in the United States. Uh, the, uh, the other index we follow, the CRSP Mid-Cap Value Index, which is uh, a different, most of those stocks in that index are in the S&P 500, but they're down at the lower sized end, and they're they're, they're value stocks as opposed to the growth stocks that dominate the S&P 500. So it's another index about a part of the market. It fell 0.9% for the week, closed at 2387.06, but is only down about 8% from its high point in January and 6.5% from this time last year. We say that because where you're invested in the stock market and in, in, in equities in the United States will make a big difference about whether your what condition your portfolio is in over a given period of time. The S&P 500 is not the know-all, end-all. I know a lot of people invest in S&P 500 index funds and think they're cool. I could argue with that. But it isn't the whole thing. It isn't the whole picture, and it's, there's different ways to approaching that. The other side of the market, the bond side of the market, the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is a strong indicator of what 10-year interest rates are. It is the baseline. Uh, it, it actually ended the week at 3.82%, um, the yield, which is exactly where it ended last week, which is sort of fascinating. It bobbed around too, but came right back to where it started. Um, the two-year note yields 4.51%. Why do I bring that up? Because traditionally, although people, some economists will definitely argue with this, and, and so do members of the Fed, traditionally, the difference between the two-year-old, two-year note two-year-old, the two-year <laughs> note and the 10-year note mark whether the yield curve for treasuries is inverted. And if the two-year note is yielding higher 
than the 10-year note, and it is at 4.51 versus 3.82. That means the yield curve is inverted. And in the majority of cases where the yield curve has been inverted as much as it is right now, sometime within the next 18 months or so, the United States had a recession. There are people who are arguing, and I think very persuasively, that it is different this time. Um, there's a lot of things going on right now that have certainly have not gone on for half a century. And we're not even sure they happened half a century ago because half a century ago, we weren't keeping that good of records. So we may or may not have a recession coming in this one, which is, I'm sure, very useful to yeah, you. Yes, yeah, so um, it's very, very indicative of the fact that we may or may not have something occurring. <laughs> The other, yes, the other thank you for number, all the, the surety that you're giving us here. <laughs> the, the other number we're following, uh, the price per barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil. Well, why do we do that? Because this is a strong indicator of what's going on in the economy, although it's a much stronger indicator, like interest rates, when only one thing is changing. Yes. When you only have one, multiple yeah. inputs changing, then it becomes a very confusing number. It, the, the benchmark fell about 10% for the week. Oil, the price of oil dropped 10% over the last week. It's at $80.23. Now, to put that in uh, perspective, it was over $120 a barrel in June. And a little over a year ago, people had to pay $37 to get somebody to take a barrel away from them. The price of oil has been going all over the place. The price of gasoline, the price of diesel. Why is that? Just, just, well, to, just to time, time out a second. Your, your age is coming into appearance again. It was, it was almost two years ago now. That, okay, two years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. a little over a year. Slow, I mean, when you say... Yeah, two years. You know, yeah. a couple of years ago when You're Enron right. collapsed. You know, we've been around in the business a long time. We, get, we lose yeah. track of time easily. You're right. Two years ago, people were paying people to take oil away from them. Um, the, why is this going on? Well, there's two elements in any price, supply and demand. And you can argue about a lot of other things, but those are the big ones. The supply of oil, when it was $120 a barrel, had been cut dramatically because one of the major oil producers in the world, Russia, had been uh, effectively embargoed, at least part of its oil supply had been embargoed, and it was also saying we're not going to give oil to certain people. And this is continuing apace. This is continuing to happen. Yeah, and this is on top of existing embargoes on Iran and Venezuela. Right. So that, that and, a, a large percentage of the, of the supply has been limited because the people that were supplying it, they're not necessarily nice people, probably people we shouldn't be buying from. Okay. Right. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be giving the money. But on the other side, the demand has fallen, which means the, despite the fact there's a restriction in supply, the price of oil has fallen recently over the last several months because of the, probably the biggest single factor is that China's economy is slowing dramatically and they are buying less oil. And they are the second biggest user of oil in the world as a nation uh, and economy. The United States is number one, but we have our own oil. The Chinese are number two, and they don't have their own oil in any significant amount. So as they have a falling demand for oil, the price tends to come down. And I'm sure, by the way, that's very frustrating to the Russians at this point because the Russians were rejoicing in black marketing their oil at high price um, 
around the embargoes, they really enjoyed the high price of oil and the fact that the price of oil has fallen pretty dramatically. Probably, well, it is certainly hurting their economy. Uh, Russia's economy is down very significantly. Uh, it's really hard to tell because they're not exactly allowing us to measure their economy carefully, but it is, they're in a, a pretty severe recession right now and going downhill at a high rate of speed. The Chinese, it's really hard to tell what's going on in China. However, by looking at the um, satellite photographs of who's got their lights on, uh, measuring import, the number of ships that are carrying, for example, oil into Chinese ports, which can be seen through satellites, the estimates are that their economy is in pretty poor shape and slipping downhill, too. Now, of course, we have to, I wonder, since we're talking about international economies, it's important to note that the European Union is slipping into recession at 10% inflation officially year over year. And the United Kingdom is almost certainly already in a pretty severe recession with 11.1% inflation being reported in the United Kingdom. All in all, this is a pretty good place to be. That's the market. Agreed. Agreed. We have talked in the past about how it's harder and harder to trust what's coming out of China when they talk about what's happening in their economy. Um, we've had some a series of American companies that are auditing and giving credit ratings and so on there. And, and it's been very nice to be able to fall back on them. Moody's is closing its consulting business in China report this week. So what we have said throughout the last two years about you know, we can't trust the same way we did what was coming from China. Five years ago, we looked at their data and it, while it had some discrepancies, it wasn't bad. Uh, and we had lots of sources of data. Now we have the Chinese government as the only source of data <laughs> for much of what's happening there. And uh, so that's a little scary. And as you said, just a minute ago, it's, it's a good it's it's nice to live where we live, not to have to worry about that. That we at least know uh, what companies are making money and losing money. Um, we have a strange occurrence this week. We have no question from Inquisitor John. Mm. This is an interesting phenomenon. We're saying this on the air because he's such a consistent fellow. So I hope he's okay. Uh, and thank you very much for all of the questions you've asked in the past. Please don't make this sound like a, or hear this as a complaint. We really appreciate the questions you've had. We have a lot to talk about this week. <laughs> I mentioned this. I mentioned this earlier in my monologue for a while. But I think one of the things as we approach Thanksgiving this coming week, we should be thankful for, and it's kind of a peculiar sort of not nice way of being thankful. But I'm going to be thankful that way anyway. I'm really glad I'm living in the United States of America right now. I really am. Um, well, shame on you for being so patriotic. My goodness. Well, not just patriotic. Uh, Europe is experiencing double-digit inflation, uh, far higher than ours. Um, and by the way, there was a very, very good article in the Wall Street Journal where there was an attempt to correlate government's deficit spending with inflation and this is the goofy thing that came out. The larger the deficit a major developed government has, and we're talking about a major developed, and we're talking about Germany or Japan, uh, United, United States, States or Japan or whatever, it, the, there is a correlation. The bigger the deficit a country has, the lower its inflation is right now. 
which is not, this is where correlation and causation shouldn't be linked up when we say this sort yeah. of thing. It's humorous because people would assume the opposite in the reality is they're not related to each other, generally speaking. Japan has the largest public debt related to GDP of any developed country on the planet, and it also has among the lowest inflations right now. The same is true in a number of places. There are places where the budget is perfectly balanced. Denmark, for example, which uses their own currency. They don't run a deficit. Uh, they don't have a lot of the, any significant government debt. And they're having high inflation right now. Whoa, this is just one of those crazy things that what seems like common sense turns out to be common nonsense. Uh, there are a lot of other reasons for inflation, but apparently the level of deficit the government is running has nothing to do with it. Uh, and it's, it is, it, it is mind boggling. If you can figure out the, all the answers to that stuff and you can write a paper and get it peer reviewed, I'm sure you'll get a Nobel prize. I've got a good inflation number for you just for the fun of it. This came out at the beginning of November. Uh, Turkey's inflation is at a 24 year high. It is only up 85.5%. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's at a 24-year high means that 24 years ago, they did this as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, anyone surprised? Well, um, not really. This is, this is the country that decided when inflation hit to lower interest rates and do stimulus spending. Maybe yeah. not the most brilliant thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, so Turkey's... Uh, you know, they're, they're in a strange spot right now. They have become a world player for the first time in about a hundred years in that they are the key negotiation point when it comes to entering NATO for Sweden, um, for, uh, what, whether or not Finland, uh, yeah, Finland as well, uh, for whether or not ships can, pass into the Black Sea if they're a warship, whether or not grain ships can leave the Black Sea. So they're a world player suddenly when it comes to geopolitics, when it comes to the movement of arms and the shipment of goods on the planet. And yet their internal decisions are leading to an 85.5% inflation rate. Uh, the government is not as stable as it was not that long ago because of this. I think um, Prime Minister Dictator Erdogan. for Life, Erdogan, uh, I believe he fired several central bank presidents he did. Uh, who were trying to fight inflation, and yes. he installed his son in there and said, spend lots of money. He said, lower those interest rates. We want growth. Well, you have to yes. have growth higher than 85.5% to keep up with inflation on everything. Um, that's a problem. Uh, that's, it's, a, it's a major problem. And it's, it's another ongoing experiment. We love to look at these things to say, you know, we need to test the data every once in a while to make sure that established knowledge about something, established learning about something is still accurate. It's still right. We, we spent a chunk of last hour talking about what's the definition of a, of a recession. We, we, we don't even know. 
But there are some things that we say, all right, when inflation hits, the fight for it is you raise your short-term interest rates, you make banks hold more reserves, don't loan out as many things, make it more expensive to make loans, and that fights inflation. Well, Erdogan said, well, let's test that. I think we can fight inflation by lowering interest rates and making money easier to be available. It seems pretty conclusive at this point that, yep, raising interest rates still fights inflation and lowering them in inflationary periods tends to add to inflation. It's kind of like when you turn the heat up on already boiling water, it doesn't cool it down. I know, I know, this is established fact, but we have to check it every once in a while. When you're trying to slow down, hitting the gas pedal and pushing it harder may eventually slow you down very suddenly, but it doesn't tend to slow you down slowly. Just, I know I'm talking con controversial subjects here. This is very difficult to prove in real world situations, but we have done it again in Turkey. Lowering interest rates in high inflation environments does not lower inflation. <clears throat> Thank you. Now, my statements are done on that subject. <laughs> uh, well it's going to be an interesting year coming up is all i got to say yeah, um, yeah there are by the way there is another there's a little market in there's a couple of market indicators out there that the, the put to call ratio is one of the strongest indicators as to how high or low the market is and you said what's a put to call ratio basically without going into detail it sounds like a miniature golf you, place is, is right. there a miniature golf place no. It basically says how many people are making a bet that the market will go lower versus how many people are making a bet the market will go higher. And I say a bet, meaning they put down a little bit of money, they borrow some money and make a bet. The number of people who are making the big bets that the market will go lower is at a near record level. Now, what does that mean? That, in, that has been a hallmark of the bottom of a bear market. Now, there are a lot of other things that are in there, but there's several interest rate spreads uh, and, and put-to-call ratios. Both are suggesting that the strictly on a technical basis that the worst of the down market is behind us, which is, gives me a little bit of optimism. Um, that's not to say, and we've said this before again and again and again, and I'll say it again, that some exogenous event meaning something that has nothing to do with interest rates in markets and economics directly could not occur and cause things to get a lot worse. It, it did. Russia's invasion of Ukraine definitely occurred and it caused things to get a lot worse. And That's China's reaction to COVID by shutting down big sections of China that were making things that we buy in the United States causing prices to go up had a distinct effect on our economy. Um, and and eventually all this stuff will sort itself out. But I'm feeling optimistic again. I I agree. Uh, I and as you said, there are things that could happen in the world. If what's happening in Ukraine goes up to the next level, all bets are off again. If China decides that Taiwan is just too unattractive a bit of real estate to ignore, or conversely decides to head north into Siberia. All bets are off again. Uh, and those are both 
likely events. They're not greatly likely. They are, we put them down below 10%, but the fact that they're on the map at all, that the 10%, it's a visible number. It was not a visible number five years ago. That was not likely. It was an absurd concept. And that could have an impact on our economy. But other than that, when we look at growth in the United States, when we look at the onboarding of all these plants, TSMC just spent $24 billion on a new plant in Arizona. On top of the other one that they're already building, we're, we're coming up on fighting inflation by producing more stuff here in an automated fashion. Keep Where your, Warren Buffett, by the way, is investing money too. Yeah. Keep your savings high. Invest in things that are cheap and profitable. Um, be diversified and don't put money away that you can't afford to leave away in a diversified manner for years. Otherwise, keep to cash. Get your credit card debt down. These are the same things we tell you at the top of markets. So we're out of time for this week. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we do give investment advice at a fiduciary level and portfolio management for people of high net worth. Uh, you can contact us locally where there's voicemail during the weekend, but real live people during the week at 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can read our newsletter there, listen to our radios and programs going back lots of years, podcasts and so on. Sign up for the newsletter there. You can contact us through the contact form or email us directly at Jeff and or jake at tpwc.com. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.